0: There was an idea To bring together a group of remarkable people To see if we could become something more So when they needed us
1: We could fight the battles
2: That they never could
1: I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger initiative playing podcast review of moon Knight.
0: we protect the vulnerable and deliver conscious justice to those who hurt them
1: part of now playing's avengers and marvel comics movie series the avengers that's what we call ourselves earth's mightiest heroes hosted by arnie
0: We wake up every morning still feeling like i got hit by a
1: bus jacob this is no, real i'm real and stewart i must warn you what you're about to see Gonna melt your brain. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You
2: still don't know when to
1: give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and wildly objectionable language. And guru? Language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show.
0: Showtime, a-holes!
2: Today we're discussing Moon Knight. Starring Oscar Isaac, May Lamoui, Kareem El Hakim, F. Murray Abraham, and Ethan Hawke. Directed by Mohamed Dieb and Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. This is Arnie, the co host, now playing who likes to dress like a psycho Colonel Sanders. And Stuart. And the idiot's back. Jacob. So we are back at Marvel once again as we prepare for Thor Ragnarok doing a kind of a TV series. They're claiming this is a limited series. I heard there's a season two, maybe. Let me put it this way.
0: If there's not more, I really don't understand what I just watched.
2: (laughs) Here's the great thing. Oscar Isaac was very upfront. You know, he and John Boyega were not very pleased with the way Star Wars unfolded. Well, particularly for them. Those characters were really marginalized. Oh, who? Exactly. And so Oscar Isaac did say he will never do Star Wars again unless he needs a new house. Letting us both know how much he would charge to do it again and that he doesn't want to do it again. And he will not sign up for endless things anymore. So he refused to sign a multi-season deal with Moon Knight. He just was not going to be locked in. He's like, I understand this story. He contributed some to the development of this series. And if he's going to come back, he needs to be wooed back with good material that interests him to do. He is not going to sign up. And as such, there are no plans right now for a Moon Knight 2. But Oscar Isaac did say he enjoyed playing Mark Speck He'd appreciate the chance to do it again, and Kevin Feige did say this series was made to leave it open if they wanted to do a second season as compared to WandaVision where there was nothing left open. You can't do a second of that.
3: I saw the teaser at the end of the last episode.
2: Well, about all of that, because this
0: is sort of a first for Disney+. Plus. Up till now, I thought of Disney+, Plus as being the cleanup crew. Did we have characters in our movies that didn't get their just desserts? Then let's throw a show at them, and we can learn a little bit more. But this is actually an origin story for a character I've never heard of, who I don't think has ever been in any Marvel movie
2: mention at all. He was supposed to be in Blade Season 2 when that was on Spike. (laughs) They've been trying to get a Moon Knight movie or TV series made since 2007. But yeah, this was the promise I looked forward to when they started talking about Disney Plus series. Sure, we can give the B-list their spotlight, but let's open it up. I mean, Netflix brought us Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Punisher. What can Disney Plus bring us? But yeah, I'll agree. Moon Knight is one. One. I've always loved his look. <laughs> I've read a few comics with him in it. I always thought, and maybe I'm very wrong, Jacob, I look to you, I always thought he was like Marvel's Batman. He's very rich, he has a suit with a lot of gadgets, he's got like batarangs or moonarangs or something. He's got the mooncopter, a helicopter that looks like the moon! That's confusing look, we're
3: doing a D-list character. This is usually my jam. Like, the, the lower tier of the character, the more I probably like him in the comics. Moon Knight has been compared, I think, earlier on. Like, they, because he is such a marginalized character, like, whenever he does get a, you know, four-issue miniseries, they're always messing with his origin. But originally, the whole Khonshu thing, like, is, is possibly just the thing in his head, and he comes up with different identities to help him solve crimes. And, you know, he's he's got Stephen Grant, this millionaire persona, which feels like Bruce Wayne, but yeah, he didn't have like all these superpowers. Like later on, they're like, oh yeah, no, that God's real. And Warren Ellis did a run that the first I read of Moon Knight where like it's an alien entity, the Conshu, And so they've always messed with that. But the core of the character has always been like multiple personalities. And yeah, just like running around at night solving crimes with his moonerangs.
0: Can I take a guess at something? I have no idea anything about this character. Really never heard of him before I hit play on this thing. Was this created in the 90s? Because I was thinking about The 90s was really big on, like, what's reality. Truman Show, Total Recall, Matrix. We had so much entertainment built around the idea that it might be all in some crazy guy's head. I can't imagine that playing before 1990. Uh,
3: 1975, I believe. Wow. He he made his first appearance in Werewolf by Night. Okay. A a marginalized character in a very marginalized comic making his first appearance. Like, he started off in the 70s, really got going in the 80s when he got his own series finally for like a few years before the 90s
0: and he always had this philip k dick maybe i'm in a mental ward
3: no they just played it as different personalities like depending on what bad guy he's got to go defeat is it gonna be jake the the new york taxi driver that's always getting info from the people on the street so it it didn't really ever feel like philip k dick It, it was more a gimmick than let's explore like someone with a fractured mind until much later where some writers did do that okay even the series, like, Layla, they, they've really changed that character, his wife, from the comic. Like, they wanted to make her Egyptian here. Ethan Hawke's character, Arthur Harrow, not a character in the comic. They've basically taken the, I think any writer does with Moon Knight, you take the few basic scraps that you need and you just create your own story with it.
0: And question, is this a popular character? Why, I mean, you could have said this about Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Why pluck this one out of your sea of characters? This one feels like a real deep cut to me. Like, never having seen seen this image. Arnie, you said you liked the suit. Where would you have seen it?
2: He's one of the Marvel Knights with the K. K K-N-I-G-H-T-S, along with Blade and Ghost Rider, kind of these hunters of the supernatural. And so I read some crossover comics. He was in some video games I played and really enjoyed his powers. And because of his multiple personality thing, he's often played for humor. And I just see comic panels where, like, imagine the opening of Batman 89 with a couple of thieves on a roof and Batman shows up well here it's a couple of thieves on a roof Moon Knight shows up and they're like oh my god it's Moon Knight that guy who has all kinds of gadgets and random bullshit
3: okay those are not real panels those are fake panels that people created
2: that's not real I always thought that was real
3: <laughs> nope as soon as I saw the word shit I'm like okay that's fake they would they couldn't put that in a Marvel comic back then
2: they put it all the time in the Marvel Knight stuff though
3: yeah, but the, the panels i seen where the art looks much older than Marvel Knights.
2: And shit is a word dropped more than once in
0: this Disney show. I just want to put it out there. Although it is appearing on Disney+, Plus, tur- another surprise of turning this on is it's definitely trying for a harder edge in
2: some of the ones we've seen. Yeah, it does feel more like Daredevil, like I mentioned, the Netflix series, in that it's going to let people punch hard. The fact that it's
3: dealing with, again, someone that in the comics sometimes has been considered to be mentally ill. Like, if you asked me what who Moon Knight is, I would have said mentally ill Batman. Well, Batman's probably mentally ill as well. He's had right. a lot of trauma undealt with. But, Arnie, did they say why they wanted to make this? Like, look, are we going to get a Dazzler series? You know, the, the disco uh,
0: mutant? I remember her.
3: I don't know why they would go for Moon Knight at this point. Like, I could see doing some real interesting stuff with the uh, multiple personalities, but for a Disney Plus show? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a weird fit. I That was my end impression, excluding whether I liked it or not, was he doesn't really play well with Spider-Man. I can't really see him
2: joining the MCU.
3: One point he had Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Wolverine as, uh, as alternate
0: personalities.
2: And yet I've read comics where Moon Knight and Spider-Man had to team up. But you get what
0: I'm saying, right? Like, this is a weird direction to go into. And maybe I appreciate that. You know, Marvel hasn't always succeeded in doing something different, Eternals. But
2: this feels more Eternals than it does Batman. I think it's because they were looking at popular characters and the A-list is gone. The B-list has already been up at bat. You know they're hitting some C-listers when we are doing Eternals and Shang-Chi. C-list is very generous. I am being a little, yes. (laughs) but then again Guardians of the Galaxy was probably F list right yeah you can always go back
0: that maybe your best bet is to take one that nobody knows because it allows it
2: to be fresh I don't know but Moon Knight had a very cool look. I think that matters a lot. They reinvent him here. You know, he's not in the comics at all like the character we get here in regards to powers and things, at least never how I read him.
3: Correct, but he does the Mr. Knight persona when, he, when he's when he got that spiffy suit. That is from the comics.
2: Yeah, yeah, there is stuff from the comics, but the suit doesn't envelop him like this, does it anymore? I mean, he, he puts it on like Batman. Correct,
3: and you're only going to get that suit for like five minutes in this whole series,
2: I think. Yeah. I think you could find a character that has a following that is tied to DC's most successful hero Dark Knight, Moon Knight. They're both rich people who go out and adventure with boomerangs, and I think he is kind of on par with Blade. They were going to introduce him in Blade season 2, which never got filmed, with the intent of giving him his own solo spin-off series, and there were just talks of where to put him, and Feige has always had him on the list of characters to get to, and Disney Plus gave them the chance to do it. Maybe in
0: some ways this is a safe place to test him out. It's not as expensive as an investment, a startup cost to do one of these shows, I would think, than to do it as a full-blown movie, and risk having him incorporated with the world of the MCU in ways that, if it didn't work, he wouldn't be easy to pluck out.
2: Well, especially if Oscar Isaac won't guarantee he's going to be there for an Avengers film, but Oscar Isaac came along after they'd Already planned to do this. And you mentioned yourself on several of these shows, they're not afraid of spending about 25 million an episode here. So they could have taken this and made a Shang-Chi level movie. I would have been more excited for a Moon Knight movie than I would be for a Shang-Chi movie. I'll say that. And I liked the Shang-Chi movie in the end. But this was the Marvel TV series I probably was looking forward to most, especially of the upcoming roster. I mean, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel. (laughs)
3: I hope that CGI ain't done in She-Hulk. That looked bad, that trailer.
2: What if season two, Loki season two, this was the first one where I felt like they wouldn't be beholden to that larger world and they could just tell a six-hour movie. And that's how the producer of this referred to it in the -the behind-the-scenes stuff is this is a six-hour movie and that's where I felt like we might be able to get more depth in characters than we were ever able to on the big screen.
0: Yeah, and let's take a look at who they're bringing over. My confusion and ignorance didn't stop with the character that it's being featured. Who are these creatives? Uh, The director, Mohamed Diab, they got an Egyptian director, and I don't know his work, but I guess it made a big enough impression internationally that they said, let's bring him over to Hollywood, or Atlanta at least, and have him working on what feels like his first commercial international feature.
2: Some of this is definitely regarding the politics, Moon Knight being tied to Egyptian gods. They wanted to have Egyptian representation. Which I'm not against, I just haven't seen his work. That's
0: that's all I'm saying, is that usually I get excited about who creatively is steering the ship.
2: I looked him up and he doesn't have a whole lot of work.
0: Clash, Cairo 678, these things don't mean anything to me.
2: No, they just approached him and asked him to pitch what he would do with Moon Knight. And he worked on this, and his big thing was, I want to portray Egyptians in a more positive way. Egyptians have been portrayed a bit of mystics with all of the mummy-type stuff. He wanted to really focus on, on how Egypt is a normal place, but he wasn't the only one asked to pitch. Some other directors who worked on this series, Justin Benson, ...and Aaron Moorhead, who are a team, they direct together, they were asked to pitch...
3: Yeah, I've actually seen, like, almost all their movies. They're all pretty low-budget indie films, but they do, like, all the stuff where we're going to talk about Mark going in and out of different personalities, I feel like that is in their wheelhouse. Resolution and The Endless, they're kind of, they coexist in the same universe, and they have to do with, like, cults and Cthulhu, and, like, mm. what's real and what's not. Like, I did feel their influence watching this show, because I've seen their other films, and they're very similar.
0: Yeah, I- I've heard of them, their work. Spring got some love. Synchronic got some love. I've been meaning to get to it, but again, this show is introducing me to a lot, including the people that are making the creative choices. The only person sort of at the steering wheel that I did know was Jeremy Slater, who I guess you'd call the showrunner.
2: He is the showrunner, executive producer, the one brought in very first on this. What a warning light, right? I mean, this guy was the writer of 2015's Fantastic Four. No, no. The studio chopped that up. He's working on the Mortal Kombat sequel. (laughs) Can he put some fighting in it? (laughs) <laughs> no, I loved his take on Exorcist. He
0: brought Exorcist to Fox TV, primetime television. I couldn't have been more cynical. He did a great job with it. And apparently people love Umbrella Academy as well. That's his show.
3: Another comic book
2: adaptation. I've heard good things about Umbrella Academy, but you're the only one I know who watched The Exorcist. I know. I feel like I'm the only one and it, it's the best Exorcist
0: sequel. Let me just put it that way.
2: But yeah, this guy, I couldn't say I was holding a lot of hope for, but I only found out really that he was involved after I saw the first episode. This is an anomaly for me though. Every time we've done these reviews of Marvel Disney Plus mini series, I always have like I watched it week to week. I talked about it with all of my friends mm-hmm. and then I rewatched it all in a binge watch for this review. No one watched this one, right? <laughs> My friends watched it and didn't have a whole lot to say, and I watched, like, the first episode and a half and then just got busy and was watching other things like Ozark and stuff, and I just kept saying, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Next thing I knew, we're about to review it. I'm like, "All right, well, I guess I'm gonna watch it all in (laughs) one sitting. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, you
0: know what? I've been pretty optimistic about all the Disney Plus shows. Yeah, I was a little grumpy on Hawkeye, but mostly because they chose to make it so much about... Because of Christmas. Christmas, yeah. (laughs) But I I thought there were good things in the show. I'll put it that. They have yet to fail by making a a TV show. I was excited to come to this, but I ended up watching it. I wanted to space it out. Originally, I thought maybe I'll binge it all in one day, but I ended up doing two episodes a day for three days. I just felt like... I a break i could feel getting tired after two episodes of just needing that space it's not a big movie it is definitely something you want to space out or at least i did
3: I'm right there with you. I was going to do it in two days, three episodes a night. First night, I did three episodes. Second night, I did two. And I'm like, eh, I can take a break right now. I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. Like, I don't need to finish this.
0: Mm.
2: For the sake of being literal, I did watch three episodes a night for two nights. I was re-watching episodes one and two, and then three, four, five, six were new to me. But I didn't marathon them. I wanted to spread it out a little bit. Six hours is a long time to be seated. Although, these are shorter episodes again.
3: Yeah, they're about 40 minutes when you take credits out.
0: Jacob mentioned ratings. Do we know? Was this popular? How does
2: it stack up with the other D plus shows? Again, they're kind of cagey with their numbers. You kind of have to wait for a quarterly report to find out. But what they claimed was a huge success. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the background of some of these episodes were QR codes. I saw it once and I did scan it. Is that how they're
3: measuring engagement now?
0: Oh my God.
2: Yes. Over one and a half million people scanned the QR code, which took them to Marvel's site where they could read a free Moon Knight comic that tied in to stuff that happened on the show like Mm,
3: yeah i don't know if it tied in king the conqueror shows up so maybe moon knight's gonna show up in loki
0: that's weird i can honestly tell you i've scanned a barcode with my phone maybe twice in my life like i just don't pull that out
3: yeah i noticed it in one episode i'm like oh i bet that goes somewhere so i paused it and did it yeah you you got a digital comic though one and a half million people reading a moon knight comic that's probably more than i've ever read a moon knight comic
2: (laughs) It's more than read comics, period. I mean...
3: Yeah. (laughs) If one and a half million people bought a a single issue of a comic, that'd be the number one comic by, like, tenfold.
0: All right, then, Arnie. Why don't you give him the plot? We'll get
2: into all six episodes. Stephen Grant, played by Oscar Isaac, is a mild-mannered employee in the gift shop of the British Museum in London. His only real distinguishing characteristic is he has a tendency to sleepwalk, so he chains himself in bed every night and sets traps to reveal if he left his apartment that evening. Steven hasn't been sleepwalking, though. He has multiple personality disorder. When Steven blacks out or sleepwalks, he becomes Mark Spector. Mark was a mercenary, but after one bad job, he's confronted by the Egyptian god Khonshu, played by F. Murray Abraham. Mark devotes himself to Khonshu, becoming the god's avatar of vengeance. He's given superhuman power and a magical suit, making Mark the Moon Knight. And yes, let me back up a step. Egyptian gods are real. Osiris, Tawaret, Amit, Khonshu. If those Nordic gods get to exist, they should too. It looks like Zeus is coming next week, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Russell Crowe. All these Egyptian gods are real beings. But centuries ago, they decided, much like the Eternals, they weren't going to interfere with human life. They were merely going to observe. But Khonshu didn't agree with that stance, so he went rogue with the creation of Moon Knight. Khonshu's philosophy is to punish wrongdoers. Yet another Egyptian god, Amit, believes in judging people and killing them before they can do wrong things. Ammit has been imprisoned in stone by the other gods, but there's a cabal of humans working to free Amit. The leader of that group is Arthur Harrow, played by Ethan Hawke. He seeks an ancient item, a golden scarab, which acts as a compass to find Amit. At Khonshu's behest, Mark Spector, as Moon Knight, is trying to stop them. Unfortunately, Stephen Grant's personality starts coming to the surface in the middle of Mark Spector's missions, and the geeky museum employee reveals his identity to Harrow. And it's through Steven's eyes that we're first introduced to this world and adventure. When the danger gets too great, Steven reluctantly gives up control of his body, allowing Mark to come to the surface and fight off Ahmet’s followers as Moon Knight. Steven also discovers Mark Specter is married. Mark's estranged wife is Layla El Fowli. Layla has joined Mark on many adventures, but due to the danger posed by Harrow, Mark is seeking divorce. Steven and Layla end up on the run, but Steven's bumbling allows Arthur Harrow to get the Scarab. This leads Arthur and his followers to where Ahmed is imprisoned, and they begin to dig to free the trapped god. Mark, Steven, and Layla give chase trying to stop this. To find Ahmet's tomb, Khonshu rearranges the stars in the sky to help the humans navigate by star chart. And for this spectacle, the other Egyptian gods imprison Khonshu in stone, stripping Mark of his Moon Knight powers. The two humans, three personalities, continue to work together and try to stop Harrow. They reach Amit's tomb, but there Harrow shoots and kills Mark, which of course also kills Stephen in the same body. The two personalities, now split, go to the afterlife, where they met by Talret, a hippo goddess who's there to transport Steven and Mark to the afterlife. While in this middle space between life and death, Mark and Steven find themselves as a patient in a mental facility. Harrow isn't a bad guy, but they're Is Mark really a mental patient suffering a break from reality, or is he really dead and dealing with a talking hippopotamus? In this realm, Stephen and Mark also relive their childhood memories, and we find out Mark is the true identity of the body. He was physically and mentally abused by his mother, and he created the Stephen identity to disassociate himself from the abuse. The two, Mark and Stephen, lived in harmony until two months before this series, when Mark's mother died. This caused Stephen to push himself more and more to the surface. Together, Mark and Steven escape the afterlife, resurrecting their body. During this, Layla had rescued Khonshu from his imprisonment, but Harrow also released Amit. Khonshu fights Amit while Mark and Steven, as Moon Knight, fight Arthur Harrow and his magic cane. He has a walking stick that can shoot energy. They're aided in this fight by Layla. Tavret made Layla her avatar, the super-powered Scarlet Scarab. Amit inhabits Harrow's body, but Scarlet Scarab and Moon Knight defeat them. Yet Mark refuses to heed Khonshu's call to kill Harrow and Amit. Instead, Mark demands freedom from Khonshu's control. Khonshu agrees, which sends Mark back to the mental institution where Harrow is his doctor. Is this reality? Mark doesn't think so, and he wakes up again in Steven's bed, chained to it as usual. It turns out, though, that there's a third personality in the body of Mark Spector, Jake Lockley, this merciless fighter, had taken over in the past to rescue Mark and Steven, and Jake is still the avatar of Kanshu, bringing the gods' bloody vengeance to wrongdoers. Jake shoots Harrow in the face, as credits roll. Dense.
0: If you had trouble following that, you might have trouble with this show. I'll just go ahead and put it out there. It fooled me. I don't know if people that read Moon Knight would know, but I assume if you start with a character named Stephen Grant, he's going to be the real one and everything else is going to be the fictitious alternate identities. But they want us to believe in the fiction before we ever know the reality of this character.
3: Yeah, I didn't know what to expect, because Stephen Grant, that's his millionaire, billionaire, I guess, these days, persona, is Bruce Wayne persona. So the fact that he's kind of this wimpy British guy all of a sudden, like, this was a surprise to me.
0: I was never thinking about Bruce Wayne or Batman here. Yeah, he seems like uh, Walter Mitty. He seems like a nerd that's still talking to his mom in middle age and trying to get a job as a tour guide at a museum, but can only work in the gift shop. I mean, he has a big L on his head. I mean, if he's a superhero, he's super loser. And again, that automatically makes us think that he'll create a superhero persona, not that he is the creation
2: what did you guys think of his british accent because that was a huge amount of controversy online people hated his british accent i had no problem with it personally
3: look i i'm not british i don't know if that's accurate or not but to me it it was pretty bad
0: (laughs) yeah i would say because i haven't spent a great deal of time in england and what do i know about the language doctor who
3: Yeah, this may be very accurate to the English.
0: I'll just say that I thought that it could be some version of an English accent. And I think Oscar Isaac is very appealing. I'll just put it that way. He sells me on it like he sells me on the lie that this life he's living is charming and real. And so I just kind of went with it. I just, you know, I accepted him as this dweeby guy who is going to try to fight sleeping, which seems like a losing battle, too. He's listening to podcasts that are about staying awake, and he's trying to play with Rubik's Cubes and read books and all of that. Is Freddy trying to get him? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And how
2: long could he really last? I mean, eventually everyone needs sleep. The podcast did say he just needs five hours a night to maintain who he is. But I guess
0: what we're to understand is whenever he submits, which is closing your eyes to go to sleep, his body becomes ownership of someone else. He knows that at this point. He's tying himself up at night. We see that he tapes the door shut. He's doing everything he can to prevent this alternate self from taking over. But it's weirder still, because when we actually see this happen, about 15 minutes into the episode, he's not just
2: a new person. He's transported to the Swiss Alps. Let me back up on some of the stuff you said. First of all, he doesn't know he has multiple personality disorder. He thinks he just sleepwalks. He doesn't know there's another person in that body.
3: Really? That's an extreme setup for just sleepwalking, surrounding your bed with sand to see if there's footprints, the chain that he's got around his leg. Like, I figured he knew he was getting out. That's why he's got the tape on the door to see if he left during the night when he was sleeping.
2: I think he thinks he's getting out when he sleepwalks, but the stuff that we watch him do this first episode is coming to terms with the fact that he's suffering time loss, which seems new to him. And this is something he's dealing with really for the first time. We're going to find out in episode 5 that this has only been going on for a few weeks that the two personalities have been at war. And before this, at the very least, Steven had no knowing of Mark. Mark might have known of Steven.
0: Yeah, we don't hear that name for a while but we do have lots of shots of him walking by reflective glass and his reflection not doing what his body's doing and this disembodied voice that pops in every now and then. There's reasons to believe early on that something is off but I guess the audience knows before Steven does.
2: That's all I knew coming in was that he had multiple personality disorder and I was watching this with Marjorie and I kept that very close to the vest and so when Steven is having blackouts and things and Marjorie like what is going on here i just i wanted to watch her discover this Mm -hmm. and i can't say that at the end of this first episode she found it incredibly clear what was going on she was still a little bit confused she asked is he possessed or what was going on there but that was my one bit of info coming in that i knew we'd be dealing with
3: well i still am confused Stuart. you said he's gonna like Dream of the Alps. I thought that was his other persona. That was Mark going out and doing some mission and the personality started to cross. So he was waking up while he thought he was asleep. I didn't think it was a dream. I thought, oh, this is this stuff is actually going on.
0: There's two of them in the world, and one is in the Swiss Alps and one is at the London Museum, right? But
3: if he's moon knight, then he he could transport. So I, I figured Mark knows about Conshu, so he could have tapped into those powers.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's a cheat that we have. I-, I can see why you'd want to do it. It's beautiful. It gives you a great car chase when you're, you know, swerving around curves and what have you. But it feels like a cheat that we leave London to go to Switzerland.
2: It does. But by the same token, I love how out of place everything is. I mean, it makes it feel like a dream for a sleepwalker to wake up in the Alps, to be faced with Ethan Hawke as some guru wearing Crocs with broken broken glass at the bottom and killing an old lady because someday she's going to do something wrong. And the physical humor here, you mentioned Oscar Isaac and going along with him. I'm used to seeing him as a cool character, whether he's the King Atreides in Dune or the hotshot X-Wing pilot in Star Wars or the multimillionaire Steve Jobs in Ex Machina. I'm just used to Oscar Isaac being a cool dude. And so seeing him do the physical humor here where his hand is moving without his knowledge and trying to be polite and doing that act I'm really having a lot of fun this first episode.
0: Yeah, I, I do like the game that they're playing. I don't know that I knew that he had multiple personality, but I figured, you know, all superheroes have a, a split personality, right? There's the who I am when I put on my costume and who I am during the day. It felt like maybe this was just a more aggressive way of looking at my superhero alter ego. i am become this cool guy, and you can cut from the slapstick of him holding the scarab and six people trying to grab it out of his hand to suddenly cut. They're all dead and the scarabs covered in blood and he's bubbling and going, what did I do?
3: Right in this first episode, I have a problem with what is the tone of this? And I don't know if that ever gets resolved because I'm like, are we going for Deadpool jokes? Like he's going to have one of those blackouts and then wake up in a cupcake van. And I guess that's funny because it's a chase in a cupcake van. But I'm like, is this supposed to be serious? Is this supposed to be funny? Like, what are we going for here?
2: It's got to be funny. They're scoring it to wake me up before you go, go. Yeah. Nothing incredibly serious is going on if George Michael from the 80s is playing. But we just saw
3: him like infiltrate a cult where they're killing people who aren't worthy. So it's like, where do I go with this?
0: Agreed. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I do think that the directors don't necessarily and maybe don't want to find a consistent tone. This one feels imbalanced. If there are scales judging this, I don't feel like it ever settles into comedy or violence. And I And of course, you could have a violent comedy, but I definitely feel like there are moments that make me go, oh, they're trying for something here. Punisher. This is dark. Deadpool, as you say, can, you know, be lethal. But a lot of the times it felt more like Venom and playful and and physical comedy.
3: Yep. I got Venom a lot of my notes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the way that he talks to the disembodied voice, you're just getting teases here that there's this skeletal bird giant that's sort of walking around in the background of certain shots. You won't really know who that is for another episode, but I feel like that we're largely supposed to find this to be a Disney Plus version of Deadpool. That feels accurate. If it's anything, it's probably mostly a lark in a comedy with some blood. But not too much blood. I mean, I think that one of the things that this gift is of him blacking out is they can cut around the violence that's a stylish way of avoiding essentially all the bad doing that he's doing off screen
2: I liked the cuts that went on here. I thought it was kind of enjoyable that we would just have these punchlines. Like, everything would stutter, go to black. We come back, people are on the ground. Steven has blood on his face or blood on his hands. And driving the cupcake truck backwards or things. I mean, it's a lot of fun right here. It feels very Marvel, is what I'll say. You know, lighthearted, but Mm action-y. Yeah, but lesser Marvel, like where they're
3: not hitting the jokes.
2: It definitely
0: feels, and of course it doesn't help that I see this big Disney D every time I hit play, but you know, like there does something in the way that it's photographed and the way that it's presented, there's something a little bit safer about all of it than if it had been on Netflix or if it had been a R-rated movie like Deadpool. But yeah, I do feel like this is an attempt and not an entirely successful one, but an attempt to get a little bit more gritty and a little bit more subversive with their humor. Now, help me out with the goldfish. The episode is called The Goldfish Problem. We established that Gus is his one-fin goldfish at the beginning, and then he wakes up and Gus has two fins. We're to understand that the alter ego killed Gus and then replaced him with another
2: fish? I don't know. That's kind of what I took it as, but is it also, hey, I think I have one personality, but now I have two personalities?
3: That's what I was wondering. Like, does he think his goldfish has one fin when he's Steven, but it really has two, and now that he's collided with that Mark personality, like, is he seeing the fish as it really is?
0: And why was he gone for two days? They made a big joke about the fact that the actual tour guide was, like, on for a date with him, and he was too timid to even ask her out, and he's vegan and they're going to a steakhouse but when he shows up he's late by 48 hours so did his body literally go to Switzerland then
3: that's what I'm saying he I think he did and I thought the crux of this episode was gonna be like how did he get out like how is he covering his footprints he's gonna find a hidden compartment with stuff I thought that was gonna lead to something more but no like we never find out like did he actually leave does he rake his footprints on that sand to hide it does Mark do that before he goes back to bed and Stephen wakes up
2: More to the point, I think Moon Knight doesn't have a magic portal to go to the Swiss Alps. If he's gone for 48 hours, I imagine Mark Spector's flying coach.
3: No, we see him flying later in the episode. He could have just flown there.
0: I'm not clear on the powers. I'll just put it flatly. Even after six episodes, I don't quite understand what Moon Knight can do. But the point is, in this first episode, they're just teasing it from the everyday man's perspective. How frightening it would be to suddenly realize you were covered in blood and do these violent things and that you have this side of you and you're losing time. For our first introductory episode, it may not be entirely clean and clear what they're doing, but by and large, I was into it. I was pretty hooked to Stephen's conflict and I wanted to know what that bird creature was. I thought that Ethan Hawke, you know, he's been having a pretty good run lately. I thought First Reformed, he played a priest in that and Good Lord Bird. He's put in some tremendous acting work. He's not looming as large as a villain as I'd like him to be. I think in some ways he's almost too nice. Is that fair to say? Like I feel like he's more feels like a duped believer than an actual villain.
3: I think they are trying to be fair and balanced with the views of these different gods. This is basically Minority Report. Like, do we preemptively go against criminals or do we wait till they commit a crime to go after them? And Ethan Hawke, I never feel like he's embodying a god. Like, he kind of has a cult leader vibe going, but I don't know. It feels like he's coasting most of the time. I'm not won over by his performance. I am actually a little disappointed because I was really looking forward to him, yeah, maybe hamming it up a bit.
2: He talked quite a bit about wanting to be the inverse of Mark Spector, or being the inverse of Oscar Isaac. If Oscar Isaac's going to play it big, he's going to play it small. He wanted them to be opposite sides of the same coin. He didn't see himself as a villain. It's just a different philosophy towards justice. And I don't know enough about Egyptian gods to know if they actually have two gods of vengeance, one that hits you before and one that hits you after. Seems a little redundant, but yeah, he's intentionally not playing... It's evil and so if you look at it is he doing anything evil he's not killing people out of hand i kept going back to raiders of the lost ark for this because they're digging up an old tomb they're digging in the deserts oh i got a lot of raiders references yep when i think about raiders this guy isn't bella he's not shooting people along the way he's not being merciless he's using some magic scales on his arm To judge people, and if they're judged guilty, they die. But he does feel more like a benevolent cult leader. Like, when they die, he's like, I'm sorry you won't be with us in our new paradise. And so, he's the least evil villain of all the Marvel villains, I think.
0: Yeah, I and, I and that's my struggle. I can appreciate the nuance of they wanted to make a complex, doesn't see himself as a villain, but you always want your villain to be menacing, right? Like, it's wrong, it's a hole in the center of this that they don't have someone fearsome to fight. And because Ethan Hawke is just deferring to this Ahmet all the time, again, he's not even passing judgment. Ahmet is passing judgment. He's just standing there holding a cane and going, okay, I guess you're dead. I guess you're a good person. That kind of aloofness didn't give me what I needed and I guess I was looking for something more classically sinister than what he's presenting here it's a little bit of a disappointment but one thing I appreciate about Harrow that gets said in the second episode is that he used to be Moon Knight essentially that kanshu chose him first and for whatever reason they had a falling out and he saw that as enslavement so what does that mean and can he make an appeal for the current Moon Knight to also jump ship that's good
2: tension In theory, yes. (laughs) I wish they played that up more over the whole series. I'll agree. In these first couple episodes, I was really intrigued by that.
3: I agree. I thought that was going to be more of a thing. Why did Haro get out of Kanshu's service and, and what did that effect did that have on him? Like, I thought there's going to be a whole lot more surprises going on, and I don't know what really happens by the end of this series.
2: But at the end of episode one, we get our first look at the Moon Knight. We're really having the Steven show this entire episode, but at the end, he's in the museum after hours doing inventory, and because Steven isn't discreet, he doesn't know why he'd have have to be arthur went to where steven said hey i work at this museum and sure enough there he is and so some really bad rendered cgi jackal is going to start attacking him like a demon dog from ghostbusters and he's going to be trapped in the men's room and mark's like you got to give me control and then coming out of his body are like these mummy wraps that come around him and we get honestly one of the most badass suits in the mcu
0: yeah, it is a mummy suit, right? They are bandages. He is essentially mummified each time he becomes this character. He's completely covered, almost like he's dead. It's interesting. I mean, it's maybe a little stereoty- what What's an Egyptian superhero going to do? He's going to be a mummy, you know? <laughs> All right, I guess. But it is cool looking, and it ends the episode on a, on a strength. You see this dog. It's supposed to be fearsome. You can see Steven is outmatched. He's talking to his reflection and saying, I can't handle this, but afraid to submit. What does submit? admitting look like? Well, if it looks like this, I can understand why he'd be afraid. This feels like going to a dark side if you allow yourself to become this Moon Knight.
2: And I came into this so spoiler-free But again, I'm thinking Batman from the comics. And so I'm like, if he's going to put on the suit, that means it's got to be hiding somewhere. We're going to have to see him change clothes and everything. That's what I'm expecting. They take care of it through just a CGI transformation. The way the camera spins around and everything, it did remind me of like a 70s show like Wonder Woman where she used to spin and she'd go from Diana Prince to being Wonder Woman or something like that. Well, that is the name of the
0: second episode. Summon the suit. It is a big deal. About how you get into this thing is sort of the theme of this second episode because we'll find out. All right, so Steven stumbles home. He wakes up again. Was that just me sleepwalking? Did that really happen? He goes back into work, and of course, you check the cameras, and he doesn't see a jackal. He doesn't see creatures and cultists and what have you. He only sees himself busting up the bathroom, which is why he winds up fired.
2: Not even seeing Moon Knight. Now, of course, there's no cameras in the bathroom. But what walks out of the bathroom is Mark Spector. Not Steven. Steven's body. But you could tell by the look on his face and everything. And the fact that Steven has no memory of it. Mark has taken over. So, they're going to play with this... To mixed effect in my mind is what's real and what's in Steven slash Mark's mind. And it starts playing with it right here. Was there really a jackal or is this guy just really insane? HR thinks he's insane.
3: Later on in the series, Layla's going to be looking at him as he's fighting something and doesn't even see it. So that was another question of mine. Like, how did these Egyptian monsters and all that work? Is it only him seeing it because he's an avatar of the gods? Do only the avatars see them?
0: Yeah, and if he becomes Mark, why would Mark want him to wake up in Stephen's bed? I would think that once you got control of the body, you'd go where you'd want to go. And the fact that he keeps winding up, you know, living his nerd life. There's a lot about these rules that I feel like are not explained and and it's frustrating. A lot of interesting ideas. Here's another one. They make a friend early on. He has this living statue, you know, those people that are mimes. They paint themselves gold and then... That never comes back. What was the payoff for that? I, yeah, did I miss something? Why have Crowley...
3: I thought that was going to be, I don't know, whatever Egyptian god is gold or whatever.
0: It is a theme in this that there are these little figurines and statues that have real you know souls inside. I, I get the motif. I can see why you'd want to have a character
2: like this. Did they cut it out? Did I miss it? Why have this in the beginning and then not use it? It has no payoff. There were scenes cut from the end. Maybe this is part of it. But yeah, there was nothing that paid this off. I honestly think it's a convenience so that we can have Stephen speak. He has no friends. You want to know what's going on in Stephen's head. The reason Sherlock Holmes has Watson is so he has somebody to talk to and dialogue, and thus the reader slash viewer knows what's in his mind. I think for these first two episodes, we have nothing so they went to a crutch of a human sculpture.
0: Yeah, there's that, and then but he does have his mother and that is going to become a semi-important plot detail later, is that he's always on the phone talking to a mother character that we don't hear and that he's just sure is alive and wanting to hear every daily utterance of his life. At any rate, he eventually realizes, hey, I found this set of keys. They have a storage locker name on them. I'll go around to some of the units and see if anybody can tell me where they belong to. And sure enough, he is taken to locker number 43. This is where Mark has been
2: keeping all of his mercenary gear.
0: It's where we really learn the name Mark Spector. We see the passport. We see the money and just the gun. This would imply that when you stop being that know-it-all Egyptian, an expert that you become this super physical killer this should be and i think it is scary for steven to realize that he's been living this way when he sleeps and his reflection tells him i am the avatar of Kanchu. i protect the vulnerable they work that in really early so that you don't think he's too bad but he's letting him know that yeah i'm working for some god that's a killer
3: And do we know the timeline? Like, I feel like he's been Moon Knight for a while. Like, I don't know. What's weird is I'm always trying to figure out what are the rules with this character? How are things working? Like, would it have been helpful to have some kind of montage some mystery guy in all white beating people up at night, like, that are committing crimes? It feels like there's a big... I guess this is the setup for season two or something, or a whole series, is he could go out and have his little adventures and solve crimes. I don't know if this just happened, or... I mean, he's been married and everything, so... He's been Moon Knight for a while. Why the split in personality now where he's realizing all this stuff going on?
0: Here's what I would say. I mean, nobody asked me, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. (laughs) Like, as someone that doesn't understand this property pretty well, but by episode two understands what they're going for, it would have been really cool if episode two had been told from the perspective of Mark. First episode told you who Steven is. Oh, he's this nerd. And then we realize he's got this other side. And in Flip, suddenly we learn all about the life of the other guy. I really want to know Mark. And even by the end of it, it's all inference and flashback and what have you. And I think that
2: it makes us hard to care about Mark. This was something the writers and creators were very cognizant of, is that it is hard to care about Mark. Mark is not going to be a talkative character And Mark is not going to be a likable character right off the bat. They start with Steven so that you become warmed to Oscar Isaac in the show, but they said it was worrisome to them when they start having to focus on Mark, are they going to lose the audience? Because he's the Punisher? Is that the fear that he's just this killer that doesn't have warmth? And he's not going to be, you know, fun. He's not going to be talkative. This is where I think they bring in Layla. Is because when we're going to start dealing with Mark, we're going to have Layla there to lighten the mood.
3: I don't feel like Mark is that dark of a character. Like, I feel Oscar Isaac does a pretty good job keeping it lighthearted throughout. Because Steven, he's such a wimp. I don't care about him. I I guess we're supposed to be sympathetic about that. But I don't want to watch six episodes of Steven Grant just fumbling around at the museum. But my problem is, yeah, we're going to get all a bunch of backstory later on. By that point, I've stopped caring. Like, first couple of episodes make me care about this character. Make me want to go on the journey. Don't do a bunch of teases and then reveal it all at the end when I've lost interest.
0: I agree. It's a, This is a weirdly, again, part of the reason why I didn't binge it was I didn't feel like it was something I wanted to just keep going and doing. It is fitful. And I do feel like there are moments in this show that work, and then there are stumbling blocks where I really go, huh, I don't get it, and I don't know
2: if I like it. See, these first two episodes for me are all go, go, go. They're the Steven episodes, but... I'm really into the mystery, especially since it is going so far afield from what I know from the comics. I am on the hook with Steven. I want to know what is planned. What is the scarab that he was trying to keep away from Harrow in the Alps and now has found in the storage unit? And why can't he show it to Mark's wife, Layla? Mark is in the mirror saying, you're going to get her killed if you show it. Then a couple of cops show up and arrest Stephen, but it's all just to take him to Arthur. I am really just into the twists and the turns as this goes. I feel like it's fast-paced and working very well. And even the climax of episode two, Stephen will not give up his body to Mark, but he's got to have a fight with another invisible jackal maybe the same invisible jackal and so he's going to manifest the suit in Steven's own way looking like Psycho Colonel Sanders or as they call him in the toys, Mr. Knight
3: Yeah, that in the comics he goes by Mr. Knight when he's in this persona. I did like the joke, like, it's a suit, like you told him to imagine a suit, and he did imagine a suit just a very literal version. Yeah, I like the Mr. Knight persona in the comics I was excited to see that, so even though like, I'm kind of waiting, I'm like, oh, okay Like, I like this version of Moon Knight. Let's see what they do with them.
0: I like the idea that each personality is going to manifest the Moon Knight differently. I thought that that was clever. And I more or less agree with you, Arnie. I think you're a little more passionate than I am. I wasn't holding on with both hands of uh, all the twists and turns. But I more or less was enjoying the ride, even though, again, uh, fitful. There are just things that you file away and go, okay, I don't know if that makes sense. But I'll, I'll wait and see. I think the frustration comes later when things
2: like the living statue don't come back. And Jacob, you kind of asked about the invisible jackal and who could see it. I don't know why Stephen could see it and nobody else can, but Layla is going to get a glimpse of it. She's going to throw some water on it and we're going to get this kind of predator effect of the I'm sort of invisible, but there's some water dripping off of me.
3: Yeah, it seems like something you'd set up for later for her to discover some invisible Egyptian mythical creature following her, but no, it's just here.
2: And Steven has a lot of super strength. We get to see him, like, crush a car bumper. It doesn't really lead to anything, but we're just being told, I guess, what Moon Knight's strengths are, even when he's Mr. Knight.
3: There's a moment towards the end of this one where Mark's like, Khonshu wants you, Layla, as the next Avatar. I'm like, okay, we're going to have some big confrontation with Khonshu. None of that. Eh, It kind of happens, but it it doesn't become the big deal that I thought it was going to be.
0: They definitely tease more than they are going to deliver. And that will be the disappointment of later episodes. But as a one-two punch, first two episodes, yeah, I'm hooked. I like the performances. I like the imagery. It does feel like dense with lore, but I'm okay with that. I actually want to learn it. I actually feel like when they tease that we're going to Cairo and the Great Pyramids and all of that, I'm like, I'm ready for this. I would like to see a superhero show set in ancient Egypt. That could be a lot of fun.
2: F. Murray Abraham is a joy in these scenes. He's just doing voice work. He didn't put on a motion capture suit. No, he didn't do the mocap. He just came in later. But that deep voice of Khonshu saying things like, go back to sleep worm, and all of that. I didn't recognize F. Murray Abraham's voice. It was when I was watching the credits. My wife thought it was the guy from all the movie trailers in the 90s (laughs) in a world where a museum gift shop owner can't sleep at night. You know, that kind of thing. But I'm really thinking he's adding to the humor of these scenes with his disgust towards Steven, really. And let's just re-litigate. You guys like Venom. I didn't like
0: Venom. I feel like this stuff feels like a carryover. Not done as well. I'm just going to go ahead and say Venom, or maybe just Tom Hardy, knew how to play this comedy a little bit more effectively.
3: Yeah, I wrote down Venom without the jokes. Like, now I'm seeing Venom through your eyes, Stuart. And my wife asked me. She was kind of doing things in the background while I was watching this. After the first two episodes, I'm going to put on episode three. And she's like, so you like it? Is it as good as you thought it? I'm like, I don't know. So at this point, I have not turned on it. I'm like, I just, I don't know. I'm having a hard time getting into this character as we go into the third episode.
0: Third episode's where I start having problems. Uh, some of it is just the Disney Plus shows all do this, right? There's always that one episode that just goes off on a tangent that you didn't need.
3: Yeah, I think Loki was the third episode. Is it the third episode of every series where they start to lose me? Where if I wasn't on Now Playing, I would have just turned it off and never come back.
2: It's episode three that I did turn it off the first time, keep in mind. I watched the first two episodes, started episode three, walked away, and never returned. When I was re-watching it, Marjorie stuck with me. Till episode three she never returned the second time to finish this i agree with you both all of a sudden what i felt was having great momentum and really working hits a wall as we're going to just really dig deep no pun intended into this egyptian lore so here's the weirdness for me so all right so we find out the
0: scarab is essentially a drone that will lead you like a compass to the very spot where Amit is buried. And since Ethan Hawke wants to raise Amit, it's very important that he walks away from episode two, having it, starting to dig. Okay, so why is he following Moon Knight and everybody around? Like, he doesn't need to care about that anymore. They're the ones that need to find him. He doesn't need to know what they're doing. The fact that he's going to ghost them while they go on this side adventure, talk to a bunch of gods, and then go to a
2: polo match. It just, yeah, all of this just feels like time wasted. The story reason is exactly as you said. Arthur has the scarab, doesn't have anything else to do. Khonshu is going to get his when Ahmet is released. And so Ethan Hawke is winning. And so this is all about the heroes trying to play catch up. And here's where it goes bad is when you're telling the audience things they already know. We literally have seen Harrow at the location. The compass starts pointing right down. He's like, we found Ahmet. Begin the dig. And again, I'm thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then we go to Layla and Mark and they're like, where's Amit? I don't know. Let me go check with this guy. Let's go visit some gods.
3: Wouldn't you just follow Hero? Like, do some sleuthing, do some Indiana Jones sneaky stuff, find out where it is. Because it feels like once Hero gets to where to dig for Amit, the scarab stops working because there's going to be a whole thing later on about some weird map to find where the sarcophagus is. And
0: that's what I'm talking about. is like we didn't need two different ways to find the same thing. That's foolish. And I think the other frustrating thing is okay, at the beginning of the episode, Mark is trying to find Hero. There's this kind of amusing scene it does feel like a riff on raiders of the lost ark when indiana jones sees the guy the sword master and then shoots him he ends up on the roof and these guys have knives and he just punches the guy so that the knife
2: hits him in the face I do like that. Are we fighting or are we dancing as the guy's doing some knife moves on the ground? This is a good fight and we get to see Mark Specter not in the Moon Knight outfit being a capable fighter, but then, you know, he blacks out and they're dead. Why did Mark black out?
0: Yeah, this is where they start teasing the big surprise of the end. I think we would all know there's a third personality. Yeah. They tease that enough throughout the show, starting here, that you would realize that it's more than just the two of them. But there's a lot going on. Maybe you get confused. Maybe you forget about these details. All of that is fine. Where I get frustrated the first time is, Khonshu just calls a council meeting. He just calls all the gods down.
3: Just by making an eclipse. Like, that's all you gotta do is have an eclipse.
0: Well, he's like, this guy's digging, and he's digging for Amit. And they go, are you? No. Okay. I could not believe, like,
3: (laughs) these are supposed to be, I don't know, I don't know Egyptian mythology, so maybe the gods are not all-knowing, like, the the Christian gods are that I grew up with, but I couldn't believe it, just like, Haros, no, I'm not doing it, and they're like, cool, okay, Khonshu,
0: you're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, he said, he said, is a bad way to rule justice.
2: Yeah, he did the eclipse just to bring the gods together, you have summoned all of these avatars for all of the egyptian gods that aren't trapped in stone we're gonna see later that like 20 of the gods are trapped in stone and 11 are still free. I mean, it seems like a high prison ratio going on with these Egyptian gods. We bring them all together just so he does say no. This does allow us to get a moment between Arthur and Khonshu, where we can explore a little bit more of Arthur's disdain for his former master. But beyond that, it's really a lot of time wasted. Yes, we're setting up this. Council, so that later on we can bring them back. So they could do nothing. Yeah, and can be <laughs> killed. We have to, I suppose, say if there is Khonshu and Amit, where are the other gods? You know, it would be like if, well, we're going to find out next week. If Zeus just shows up, but where is Hades and where is Athena and all of that? It would just be a dangling thread. So they put it together in the most convoluted way possible.
3: I mean, they could have literally just said, hey, the gods got sick of humanity and left, and Kanshu's the only one that cares about justice, so he's still around. Like, they didn't have to do this whole side mission.
2: How many grand, powerful species are just watching us right now? In the Marvel
3: Universe, a lot, yeah.
2: (laughs) We got the Eternals, we got now Egyptian gods. I'm really sick and tired of super beings using us for entertainment.
3: (laughs) And I feel like Haro, like, more powerful than thanos thanos just wanted to take out 50 percent. like i feel if you start judging people on what they might do like we're losing a lot of humanity like the, the stakes are bigger but they don't feel that way
0: he doesn't sell it in the way that i really wish that he could and know that the actor is capable of but the point he makes is what if you could have stopped hitler before the holocaust what if you could have stopped pol pot or the armenian genocide which apparently
3: it got disney in trouble yes
0: <laughs> even i heard about that and i don't go online this council's lame is, I guess, one thing that's a disappointment. And then it's like, okay, rather than just going and following Ethan Hawke back to the dig, let's go find the sarcophagus of Sin Fu and from a black market dealer that's going to require your wife and you to take a boat ride. And yeah, this is what I mean about third episode problems. Suddenly we have to go way far away from everything that we've been doing. And you can feel the time stall.
3: And here's the thing. If I was loving Oscar Isaac's performance, if he's really hitting this great comedic balance between Mark and Steven or something like that, great. Let's go on this fun little side quest, but I'm not getting that kind of enjoyment. I'm I'm just trying to hold on to care about this character. And yeah, so now, now that we're going to go on a side quest, that doesn't matter. We could have gone some other way. Like my wife ended episode three, she's like, you still into it? I'm like, Nope, Nope, I'm done. This is the episode that killed me.
2: I still like Oscar Isaac, but in the first two episodes, I loved Oscar Isaac. I'm still into the multiple personality thing and seeing him play off his reflections of himself. I still want to know more about this estranged marriage. I kind of thought that this black arms dealer was an ex-boyfriend of Layla. So did I. Kind of got some vibes there, but what's happening with the story is really feeling like stalling and we finally get to a point where the black market dealer's guards start to attack and Steven's finally like, okay, take over again. And Mark and Moon Knight come back out. But for episode three, it's too little too late.
0: Well, here's the thing. We're saying it's stalling. It's taking it somewhere uninteresting. But if we look at the larger mythos, we've heard about Madripoor before. This guy knew the wife back in Madripoor. It was something mentioned in Loki. Maybe it was mentioned in another movie. It's some kind of Sin City. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Was that what it was? Yeah, okay. I couldn't remember where. It hasn't made enough of an impression. And so perhaps they will eventually tell a story that links all of these disparate elements Elements together And people love that, right? They love when the synergy happens and five different diverse characters suddenly have a, a shared storyline. That feels like something that some people care about. But for me, it's going back to Iron Man 2 and interrupting the story of Iron Man versus Whiplash. And suddenly Sam Jackson has to blow in and talk about the Avengers. You know, like it just, it stalls the story that you're into to have to build the world the way that they do.
2: Is any of this from the comics? Like, if I loved Moon Knight in the comics, am I going to get anything out of this? Apparently, this guy is Midnight Man. Does that mean something? No,
3: not really. Again, because Moon Knight is such a D-list, I'll be honest, D-list character, every five years, six, seven, eight years, he'll get like four issues in comics. So, like, he doesn't really have a rogues gallery like you'd see with Spider-Man or Iron Man or any of them. I do want to give some compliments. I do like when he goes fighting here at the end, like that cape, whenever he jumps, it turns into a crescent moon. Like, I think that's kind of cool looking. But Indiana Jones is a bunch of diversions we've talked about that doesn't anything he does actually matter like the Nazis would have still been defeated if he had done nothing but that's a fun adventure because Harrison Ford is great like all those adventures are fun and if this was able to tap into that and I'm comparing this to Indiana Jones because it obviously wants to be that with all you know raiding Egyptian tombs I wish it was as fun as Laura Croft Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie like when she's bouncing around on those bungee cords shooting people like I don't know it never captures that fun for me if this is supposed to be about spelunking and raiding tombs uh, it doesn't seem to want to really lean into any of that.
0: It has a lot of cool elements, but I feel like some of it is budget, right? Like, they just don't have the ability to make this amazing... It's kind of cool that they have this, like... I guess it's called El Myrma, like fencing. That Basically, it, they got these spears and they're running around on horses. It's not polo. I guess it's like jousting. The fact that they got this guy that's Midnight Man that's cool on the horse, but he just gets taken out really easily. And I don't think you're going to see him back again, because the actor that played him, we've seen him before. He was young Hannibal, if you remember Hannibal Rising. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yes, he was little Hannibal. He died about three months before this episode came out. And they dedicated this episode to him if you wait and watch it till the end. That's really sad. Yeah, this feels like, unfortunately, because of that, whatever they might have been teasing will never even happen.
3: What is the solution to this puzzle box? Like, I know they got to get some fabric and they got to arrange it in a certain way to figure out some constellation that whoever this guy that's mummified would have seen when he was alive...
0: Ahmet was buried in secret by the god, and only one mortal saw it, and his name's Sinfu, and even though he died, he decided to bury himself in a twisty puzzle fabric that, if you arrange it correctly, will have the constellations uh, pointing to where the tomb is, or something. We can all sense the bullshittedness of this mission.
3: This leads to, I guess, Konshu's imprisonment, because he's told if he's ever to mess with the sky again, he's going to be turned into stone, and he's got to mess with the sky again, because to find this constellation, they got to look at the sky as it was 2,000 years ago, when the sky was alive.
0: Or, you could just follow Ethan Hawk to the dig. Yes! Yes. You know, non-conspicuous, considering he's got 40 people creating a mineshaft to go underground. Like, that would be easier to find than rearranging the cosmos, I would think.
2: Yeah, this is ridiculous. Again, to go where we've already seen the bad guy go, and what this is really doing, a cool light show in the sky, but it's kind of a Superman 2 moment. We're robbing the hero of their power. I don't think we've seen that yet in a Disney Plus series. The trope of the hero losing all their powers, maybe WandaVision, but she forgot she even had powers, and so now we're going to have Mark Spector having to deal with things on his own, fortunately he's a super capable fighter but he doesn't have a suit that's going to instantly heal him he can't fly he can't crunch metal with his hand
3: and yet as we go into episode four and it's going to start with a fight right away like do you feel he's in danger i feel like mark specter is pretty capable They're going to spend a lot of time at the beginning of this episode just fighting like a mummy or something crawling around that tomb. I don't know why. I feel like, again, padding. we got to stretch this out. we got to get this episode in.
0: While you're trying to get to the action, it's worth pointing out it's not Mark. It's Steven. And what they're trying to do here is a love story. All of a sudden, Steven's hanging out with Layla, and it's going kind of well. And we have Mark getting jealous that this British nerd might be winning the heart of his... Well, it's supposed to be his ex-wife. If he signs the divorce papers, they're kaput. But it seems like the only marital problems they are having is that he's never around because he's off doing mercenary work. So they could probably repair
2: their relationship. But she does the mercenary work with him. She knows he's Moon Knight. This isn't one of those Clark Kent Lois Lane things where he's trying to hide his secret identity. Back in episode two, she's coaching Stephen in how to be Mark and how to summon the suit.
0: They had one moment on the boat where they talked about the fact that he doesn't disclose a lot to her. But you're right. She knows all of the important things. And then if you take the position, I'll just jump ahead a little bit, that all of this is a delusion, then like he's actually mentally ill and disappearing from her life because he's institutionalized. Or maybe she's not real. I don't know. We'll get there when we get there. Wasn't she a nurse
3: in the ward? A nurse or another patient? I couldn't tell which.
0: Let's hold that thought because that is the surprise twist near the end of episode four. At the beginning, they're just wanting you to realize that this is a love triangle. And did I love that? No. Really, my problem is that the action just feels so lame in this one. Like She has to rescue Steven because he lost all his energy rearranging the cosmos. There's a truck full of gunmen that are approaching and she does something with a flare that is really lame.
2: I don't think ammo really works like that. I don't think if you throw a flare in a box of bullets, it's going to kill everybody in the entire truck. Jacob, you said this episode four starts with a fight, and am I impressed with Mark? Mark is laying down this whole fight. This is all on Layla. Mark is passed out, ignored for this fight. This is a couple of gunmen on a truck. Are they with the arms dealer from the last
0: episode... I don't know, because Ethan Hawk keeps showing up and then, like, smashing his staff to the ground and making purple things happen. Like, he's Prince. <laughs> but, like, again, why did he follow them to the arms deal? Why does he even care what they're doing when he has what he wants? The only thing he ever wanted from them was the Scarab. The only thing that he got from the Scarab was the location of the tomb. Now that he has that, everybody should, you know, be judged by Amit
2: and it'll be handled that way. I think he's afraid of Khonshu interfering before they can dig up Amit.
3: But doesn't he know Khonshu's in trouble? Because he saw the sky moving. We talked about does only Mark slash Steven see these monsters and stuff? We see Haro looking up at the sky when Khonshu is rolling it back. So, like, he knows they're doing something.
0: I really wish, it is my greatest wish, there's a lot of frustrations in this, but my greatest wish is that Ethan Hawke took a more active approach to this character.
3: More Belloc.
0: Yeah, I needed just more, and I feel like what you are telling me is his instinct was to be the inverse, to be smaller, to just be kind of like the affable, friendly church leader when I'm wanting scary cult guy.
3: Does Haro not know how to actually find the little Amit statue that they're looking for to that scarab? Only point them to where to dig because then we're going to see Steven and Layla like find the equivalent of an Egyptian, you know, like a you are here map to the mall and go, oh, we got to travel down the tongue and we'll find it. Like they seem to know what to do, but the guy with the magic scarab, like they're still looking for the
0: tomb. Yeah, they had to build all of that. What we missed when we cut away to all this fencing and all of that, they had to dig that entire mine shaft and excavate what apparently is the Eye of Horus as a maze or something like that and fight off these mummy
2: sorcerers named Heka or what have you.
3: Yeah, I don't know why they get into all this stuff.
2: You can barely see them, right? I mean, I was trying to get a feel for what those looked like. Are they cool looking? All I basically saw were shadow.
3: Yeah, I just wrote down mummies, but I don't know what they were.
2: I thought it was kind of cool. Like, you hear the
0: clicking before you see them. It's kind of like a good tease. The idea something's coming when they're down there, when they're first exploring. When Steven and Layla are doing their make-cute and kissing each other and what have you. You're hearing clicking in the background. These things are coming for them but they just don't end up being that big a threat i'll be honest this was the part where i was starting to think about red arrows up to this first two episodes i was like i'm kind of enjoying this third one was problematic this episode i'm like "Mm, this is really losing steam rapidly they do this whole thing about okay the big twist we think is oh amit was embodied inside alexander the great And he was the one that turned her in and got her buried. And so, I don't know. I guess if you're a history buff, (laughs) that's really important.
3: Yeah. Was this amazing to someone that it was Alexander the Great that um, Amit was sitting in?
0: It wasn't me. If it was great to somebody, it wasn't me. And then they do the real twist. And yeah, they shoot Steven slash Mark. And we go in a new direction that was much needed. I wanted to say they needed to do something this big in order to bring me back. I'm not sure this was the twist that would best hook me, but it at least gave me something new to think about because I was getting really bored with the goose chase.
3: I mean, it's fun to see a Hippo walk into the frame.
0: Yes. Let's just go ahead and lay it out. We are now going to be asked directly whether anything that we've just watched is real. It's one of those kinds of moves.
2: The fact that Mark slash Steven is dead, shot in the chest, falls into the water, hey, it's a baptism metaphor, when he emerges from the water, he will be changed, but we're going to go, and yes, into the Egyptian afterlife, where the goddess of fertility, I looked up who that goddess is, it's a goddess of fertility, not exactly like the river sticks to escort you to the afterlife, but yes, it is a giant talking hippopotamus they even go against what you would expect a hippopotamus to talk like it's a very bubbly female voice
3: yeah it's almost a valley girl voice
0: but before that i mean yes you're jumping to what could be more of this fantastical they also do a hard edit and suddenly say That everyone that you've seen is sitting around playing bingo in an insane asylum. And that the villain of the piece might actually be a psychiatrist trying to help our main character. Who is Mark and not Steven? This is what will be established by the fifth episode, is that Steven is a figment of Mark's imagination.
2: It threw me out of the series because I noticed after Mark got shot that it went to a 4 to 3 ratio. And I'm like, did I accidentally change the channel? Did Disney Plus throw some old series on here? It's just this old square television ratio. And it's this Indiana Jones ripoff, probably more like the librarian series of VHS movies that apparently this version of Mark in the psych ward is a big fan of.
3: We'll find out that Ahmed is a crocodile goddess. And when we see Haro here, he, he's the doctor of this mental institution. He's got a cane and he's also wearing Crocs, I believe. <laughs> like a subtle hint to who
0: he might be. Yeah, his paperweight is a pyramid and all of the iconography could just be the extrapolation of a, a doctor that likes Egyptian things. And this patient has turned that into a wild fantasy. Now, I have liked this device Many times. If you go listen to 12 Monkeys, Total Recall, lots of Philip K. Dick, Christopher Nolan. I really love being able to look at a movie narrative on multiple levels. I don't know why we need to bring that into Moon Knight. I couldn't really think of a great reason why I'm asking in the material reality of this character.
3: Just to get meta, is Disney really going to put out a Marvel series about a dude sitting in a hospital and just imagining all this? No, of course he's going to be literal.
2: No, if Oscar Isaac never comes back, this was all the dream of a guy in a psych ward.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, you're making light of it. But I think, to Jacob's point, that's really where I'm at. This movie, I'm calling it a movie, but this, whatever, miniseries, TV series, I don't think it's brave enough To actually keep this going. Eventually if they keep Moon Knight around. He is going to be in the MCU. And he is going to play with the other characters. And so the idea that we're teasing whether he's real or not. Feels like a false game. It feels like they're not committed to following the travails of a mentally ill superhero.
2: We've dealt with this before, I remember bringing up this video game I liked called Sanitarium, where, are you in a mental institution, and having delusions about being in 3000 BC, having some adventure and mystery, or are you really having this time-traveling adventure? But here, it feels like it comes in so late, and then is so abandoned, we never get a definitive answer. I think we're given one at the end. I think the last scene of episode six is kind of a big middle finger to me, really. But I like the concept of it. I really do. But coming in at the end of... Episode 4, how am I supposed to believe that unless we stay here? If we stayed here and found out for some reason this was all a big ruse, but he really is physically in a psych ward, then that would be one thing. But that this is just this alternate maybe, it again felt like it was kind of wasting my time. Does it matter
0: either way? Is, I guess, what they really ask. But I look at Total Recall. Like, I feel like that thematically has something to say about the nature of vacations and experience and memory. But this... I don't think it really justifies... It just becomes a gimmick, is I guess what I would say. It feels like a hollow gimmick, and even though I'm trying to play that game, because that game can be kind of fun, it's not totally saving the show for me.
3: It's coming in too late, like you said, Arnie, and gimmick is a good word. I, I feel like maybe you start off this way, call his sanity... I guess they kind of call his a sanity in the question right at the beginning, but it feels like they're doing this trick twice. Like, we saw that in the first episode where he's switching personalities, and now he's switching... This is deeper into the Matrix, I guess, now we're in a mental institution like how many layers are we going to go here
0: how do you develop this I mean I guess I'd have to be patient and judge season 2 on that account but just as a general storyline a direction to take this character in the series I guess I just wasn't totally invested in playing this game and so while I was grateful to have something new to think about I'm not sure that I loved this new direction
3: but this is where we're going to get the backstory, I guess, for Mark slash Steven's psychotic break and personalities. And again, this feels very rote, like, oh, the childhood trauma, like, this is a Johnny Cash story, right? Johnny Cash, like, went off to play with his brother, and his brother died, and he became Johnny Cash. And this time, Mark becomes Moon Knight instead.
2: It's every Stephen King story. It's little Georgie <laughs> from It.
0: I mean... But I don't even understand what happens in part because they're still playing with delusion I, what we're seeing is that the two Mark and Steven are running around an insane asylum running through doors which lead them to memories of Mark's in Chicago the four things that I see are first Mark and his younger brother Randall go off in a cave and then drowned or like what what's the reality
3: I think Randall drowned
0: we don't really know because again it's done in this hallucin way but yeah well let's just say that the child drowned for some reason and the mom blamed Mark and so that we'll find out in another flashback mom starts beating on Mark and he creates Steven because Steven is Indiana Jones essentially and that allows him to live that's what really doesn't make sense to me Steven is the star of something called Tomb Buster we'll see that it's on VHS it's presumably an Indiana Jones ripoff like Jake Spreed or Remo Williams or what have you and this was a character he fell in love with and wanted to emulate but he turned him into a nerd that couldn't get a job doing adventure but like was just in a museum selling stuffed animals
3: Yeah, that Stephen Grant in the movie was not a whiny British guy. Like, I guess he took that name, but then took on a nicer persona to please the mom.
2: I think when you have a disassociative event and a multiple personality is created, you don't have a whole lot of say in what that multiple personality is.
0: But you get my point. Like, I feel like he was making a fictional character come to life to comfort him. Like, much like we create an imaginary friend, the character that he ends up creating feels nothing like the character that
2: was in the movie that inspired it. So, that part's weird. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here, and I've seen this in other movies, so forgive my secondhand knowledge of this, but children of abuse will have multiple personality disorders. They don't create a second personality to be an imaginary friend. They create one that can handle the abuse, so the main personality will black out and not have to take the suffering. And so here, he's created this nerd Steven. He may wish that he'd created the Tomb Buster, but it's just what was created to handle this trauma and we're going to find out later on there's a third persona that was created from this abuse
3: I I mean I think we could all agree that this is as psychologically sound as the movie Split Mm -hmm. by M. Night our favorite but it's confusing I get what you're saying Arnie it's just confusing to say here's this movie star Stephen Grant and I'm going to take that name I would just assume that he's taken that personality and that's not what's going on
0: I get what you're saying, Arnie, but that shouldn't be tied with a movie poster that looks like Indiana Jones. That's just a confusion that makes this harder to follow. Doesn't make it more clever, it makes it worse. And then, yeah, we jump again, and he was... Like an adventurer? And then he got almost killed?
3: So Mark was a mercenary. Him and some other mercenaries were helping Layla's dad on Egyptian digs.
0: This is the real part. I just want to be clear. So he really grew up leaving this abusive relationship to go be Indiana Jones while fantasizing about a nerd that wishes he was Indiana Jones. And then as he was dying, became the avatar of an Egyptian god.
3: Sure, yes, all of that. Yes, that's what they're telling us.
0: Okay, and then his mom died and he couldn't handle it and that's what really sent him over the edge and maybe institutionalized
3: it. Yeah, I guess that's what's caused this sudden split that we've been introduced to in the first episode is that funeral brought it all back to him.
0: I don't need to parse this out anymore. Like, it's it's <laughs> muddy. it's not great. They were onto something and it needed more fine-tuning. Like a lot of this series... Good ideas, not well executed. And yeah, about the hippo, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's fun to think that a hippo drives a ship through the sand to the afterlife and that you could end up being sucked down by sand zombies or make it to some golden field.
3: I did know way back, like seventh grade, world history or whatever. I did know Egyptian mythology, you weigh your heart on a scale with a feather, which seemed crazy to me as a child because feathers are super light, but that's their thing. So that that was fun to see that. Like, they're going to weigh both their hearts because there's two of them.
0: I like that. Again, I like that as a gimmick. That is The motif of this is about weighing souls and, and, and the weight of all of that. Basically, what happens by the end of episode five is Mark gets to have his happy ending, but he doesn't want it because he can't bring Steven along.
2: The hippopotamus stuff, I did notice that she does call the afterlife a realm and does make a callback to Black Panther. If you remember, T'Challa went and spoke with his father in the spirit realm, there was that big tree yes. where all the ancestors were, the ancestral plane, and so she makes a callback to that here, so if you think that they're making a definitive statement of what happens after death, the Egyptian gods were the correct religion to worship, they do equate this to just being another realm, another multiverse plane or something, but the ability to just walk away from death, very prevalent in ancient myth. You know, the ability to escape from Hades in Greek myth and all of that. So, it goes with the themes here, but yet it's always something that kind of bothers me in modern fiction is, oh, we're just literally going to jump off a boat and walk out of here. So, what happens is, basically, through magic, he just says,
0: I don't want this heaven, and he's told he can't come back. So, he's essentially shutting the afterlife to go be with the fantasy. I mean, the, the fantasy that he created out of the trauma is preferable to him again who would want to sit around in a field of wheat for the rest of your life that doesn't sound that great i'll be honest
3: you're upsetting a lot of egyptians right (laughs) now.
0: Eh, but you know like a day or two of that and you're like i want some excitement
3: you could be making bread all the time all kinds of pastries with that wheat
0: and i love bread don't get me wrong carbs (laughs) are heaven but maybe not one that's sustainable at any rate, he's going to run back into the climax of this show. He's going to realize he's better off teaming up with his fractured self and coming back for the big god fight that's happening in Cairo.
2: Layla released Konshu again. That we haven't even talked about what Layla was doing while Mark was having his interdimensional adventure but without too much trouble at all she got down to where Kanshu was and set his spirit free
3: this big threat of being encased in stone for eternity you just break the statue that's how you free him real easy
0: yeah, and this council, this is weird, too. Like, they all were summoned there because of a lunar eclipse or solar eclipse or something, but they're still sitting around to be murdered? Like, they're just still in the pyramid?
3: I don't get it. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Ethan Hawk busts in there and says, I'm going to kill you. And they're so surprised,
3: too. They're like, but you told us you weren't going to do this.
0: Yeah, they're excellent vetting of his character. And so, yeah, they're all dead. She's released Kanshu. Anju's like, do you want to be my avatar? She's like, no. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much when the Moon Knights come back into it. And we're getting giant gods beating on each other and cultists murdering people in the streets.
3: And maybe this is outside the budget again, but at one point they say we're gonna need more avatars because we saw all the Egyptian god avatars have been killed. I thought like we saw we talked about it. There's like 20 statues there. I thought they would just start breaking all those, get a whole big army of gods fighting Amit. No, we're just gonna get one more avatar. We we're gonna need more avatars, means one more.
2: I thought Moon Knight would go after Amit, right? I really thought that's where we were being led. But no, really, Kanshu fights Amit, and we get to see this skeletal bird thing fight this giant crocodile.
3: Yeah, I don't know why the gods are fighting and then the avatars are also... If you have avatars, just let them fight. You don't have to fight. Just sit there
0: and watch. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, worth pointing out that all these people that killed the council died, but the gods are not dead. They're off in their...
3: Doing who knows what, not caring about humans.
0: So what? To them, six people died, but they're quite alive. Will they return for a future series? I tend to think they'll go one god at a time. It would be nice to think that we could have a show that, yeah, has all of these magnificent creatures. But Arnie, I think it is budget that they can only have one bird and one crocodile for <laughs> one big Mighty Morphin kind of throwdown at the pyramid.
3: It's so weird. Layla is going to become an avatar for that hippo goddess, but like we don't see the big hippo goddess walking in and fighting with Kanchu.
0: I had to look this up. Scarlet Scarab? She becomes something with wings that is cool looking. Yeah. But doesn't remind me of a scarab and <laughs> doesn't remind me of a hippo.
2: Are you familiar at all with the Scarlet Scarab, Jacob?
0: No. I
3: know it's there is a Scarlet Scarab, but no. In the few Moon Knight comics I've read, there has not been a Scarlet
2: Scarab. Scarlet Scarab is a character that has appeared in like three comics in the late 1970s.
3: Okay, I feel justified saying that I, even though I read comics, I've not come across her.
2: <laughs> and was even two different characters, but like, yes. one was in The Invaders, and then the second Scarlet Scarab was in Thor five years later. It goes back to like
3: World War II, the Human Torch, like that era of Marvel like th- that they're tapping into.
2: Which the name the Scarlet Scarab really kind of fits with. It's (laughs) kind of one of those old-timey names like the Shadow and the Phantom. Apparently, in discussing how this series would end, it was decided, let's go ahead and make Layla her own superhero.
3: It should be said, like, Layla in this is Egyptian. In the comic, Mark's wife is not Egyptian. They wanted to, again, bring more of that culture into the series, so they made that change.
0: You even see that in this fight. At one point, she's saving a teenage girl from a van that's going to roll on her. And she's like, are you Egyptian and you're a superhero? Like, she gives her the thumbs up for representing identity politics of this. We want to see more Egyptian women (laughs) fight giant
2: hippos i don't know no she's the avatar of the hippo she's fighting for the hippo and because it was in the hospital i got confused i'm like is this the hippa hippo is she there (laughs) to discuss patient advocacy and privacy rights But apparently after the series was done, people at Marvel started digging through their character names and are like, we're going to make this the Scarlet Scarab. It was never said in the show. She doesn't even get her powers from the Scarab. No, it's from the hippo. I watched the series later, but I'd read that she became the Scarlet Scarab. And so I'm like, oh, that little Scarab thing they were chasing must turn people (laughs) into superheroes. Nope, that's not at all the case. You just become the hippo's avatar and you get really a enough off wonder woman outfit right she's like blocking bullets only instead of bracelets she has wings
3: i thought they were really going after wonder woman 84 because she has like mm. those metal wings and everything uh-huh. like wonder woman did
0: <laughs> it looks cool though i mean again I, I like moon knight it looks good on a poster
3: arty you said that hippo is a fertility goddess what would that outfit look like if you're encapsulating that if moon knight has a moon what does the fertility goddess have on her chest
0: At any rate, we'll skip over that. Part of this infight we do not see because the third personality takes over. Moon Knight is looking like he's going to lose. Ethan Hawke has got his cane over him. And then all of a sudden, people are dead. Ethan Hawke is on his back. And Layla is like, you were not Mark, and you were not Steven. And we're teasing the idea again. There's this third character that's the bloodiest and most uh, relentless of them all. The most dangerous version of Moon Knight.
3: I knew there was a third personality, and I thought they had just streamlined this. They're like, oh, we'll just go with two. But then when I saw that scene, I'm like, okay, there's the third one, Stuart, you don't know anything about Moon Knight. Were you excited? Like, did you want to know more about this third personality?
0: Obviously, it's where they're going with season two. So yes, I guess I want to know how deep the psychosis goes that how many personalities are there and why this would exist and what they're going to do about that. Seems like, An obvious direction for taking the what I can only imagine is another season of television.
2: But why would you take the climax of the series? And yes, we've seen infinite number of super-powered people punch each other again and again in Marvel movies, DC movies, all kinds of movies. But why would you rob us of the climax of the series just to tease something that's not going to be paid off and may never be paid off?
3: Yeah, it feels like that's where you introduce Jake. You do a blackout and Moon Knight's like super, super violent, I guess, at this point and is able to defeat Haro and like he just drops a name or something. Hopefully, I guess Marvel fans are trained to stay through the credits, but hopefully you stayed through the credits so you understand what actually saved the day.
0: The other two versions, even if we thought Mark was an unlikable badass, he makes the choice now that he's free of doing what Kanju tells him to do, that he's not going to be vengeful, he's not going to kill Arthur Haro he is essentially going to institutionalize them he's gonna put him somewhere
3: i did not understand this whole debate because the whole time Konshu is like we we gotta wait for them to do evil and then we could kill them we could take vengeance on them and then it feels like they're trying to go back like mark is like no we we don't know what haro's gonna do no we do like we've seen him be evil this whole series Mm -hmm. he's done the bad do the vengeance
0: Even his avatar, Amit, was like, you're a bad person, and if I judged you with my scales the way I am other people, I would kill you. But, hey, Alexander the Great wasn't so great for me. I'll take a bad person to be my avatar.
2: Yeah, it's really just frustrating that this is all coming out at the end and again, we were promised this as like a limited series so I don't feel ending it on a cliffhanger the way they did Loki season 1 was a right choice for this. It just ends up feeling really unsatisfying. What I had liked the thought of is you could have Marvel movies on Disney Plus and expand on them and have them be bigger, but in the end there seemed to be falling prey to every trapping of of every tv series ever and the constant withholding of gratification in the hopes that you'll come back next time
3: i think we'd get a little bit of resolution here we'll go back to that asylum and i think the fact that mark slash steve slash jake slash moon knight sees bloody footprints from Harrow. Hopefully you remember six weeks ago, the opening scene of this series where we saw some guy putting glass in his shoes. Cause I think that's the payoff here is that, no, he actually did do that. And like, because he has bloody footprints that they're not in that asylum, that he's not a doctor. He's actually just a crazy guy.
2: Maybe, or maybe he is insane and just seeing footprints that aren't there, or...
3: Then why show the glass back in episode one? Like, I I kept every episode, I'm like, when is that paying off?
0: I dare them to make a TV show about a delusional man that thinks he's a superhero, but really is a nut in an asylum. Like, that's the problem I'm having with it.
3: Yeah, they're not going to do that.
0: Is I don't believe that they're capable of sustaining this. And so it just feels like an empty tease of which way is he? Well, does it matter? What are you getting at by playing with this mental delusion?
3: Arthur actually is in an asylum, and it's just he's not there with Mark because Mark as... Personality number three is going to have him escorted out to his limo so he could shoot him.
0: Yeah, well, notice one thing. This asylum where Dr. Harrow is, is in Chicago. It's called Putnam. And the where we end up, it's in London. You can see the London skyline. So again, is that represent the delusions of Mark? I don't think that there's anything definitive here, but I don't particularly enjoy the gamesmanship of it. We know that there is a Spanish-speaking version of Oscar Isaac who has no qualms about putting a bullet in Ethan Hawke head that's what we know by the end of it and drives a license plate that says specter
3: yeah it feels like a bond film at this point Mm.
0: does that mean anything
3: mark's last name is specter
2: oh okay i forgot that part yeah i was thinking about bond yeah it's quite an abrupt ending going back to the insane asylum and then being like i'm gonna save the world only to then wake up chained in a bed Well, I'll just say this series ended on a bad note, but how bad was it? Jacob Stewart, despite this ending, can you recommend Moon Knight? Jacob.
3: I mean, we, we probably all thought the same thing. we got to weigh this thing. It's all about the scales, as this series constantly goes back to. Is it bad? Is it good? Or is it good, but it's going to do bad in the future? I, I guess we could judge it that way, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is my problem, is it's not balanced. It, it is not light as a feather, as in lighthearted, where it's got a consistent tone. Sometimes it wants to go really dark. Sometimes it wants to make cupcake jokes. Uh, sometimes it wants to be a superhero, beat him up, punch someone in the face. Sometimes it wants to be really conceptual and are are we in an asylum is that real is that not it does a lot of things just like this character has a lot of personalities but none of them feel very successful and just again i i got to the fifth episode i'm like i i'd rather go do other things i don't really i'm not in anticipation of how this climax is going to end up and i went back last night and finished it up i'm like okay it ended more or less like a marvel film bunch of people in suits punched each other there was a, a purple laser beam all that kind of stuff I, i'm disappointed i'm disappointed like with with Ethan Hawke, with Oscar Isaac, that was exciting. The fact that I love some D-list superheroes and this was Moon Knight, a D-list superhero like that was exciting. I thought this would be up there with Hawkeye for me and it ends up being at the bottom of these Disney Plus TV series. I mean, at least Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I, I thought it really played it safe with its politics and it, it took its edge off, but I don't know. I enjoyed that more than this. This one, I was just confused most of the time. You got to do a rewrite. You got to figure this out. The way they put this together, I don't feel very satisfying. I don't want to go back. Even if you think this is good, I don't know. It's going to do bad in the future. I'm going to go Amit's method here and red arrow it, not recommend.
2: Stewart,
0: I can't disagree. I'm not entirely sure where this is going and if I were to think about those directions maybe you just don't want to go any further stop here but do I recommend this experience I don't know I was thinking about it it has a lot of things going for it namely Oscar Isaac is very charming in all his roles playing all the different personalities I just like Egyptian shit so like the fact that we're going to take the Marvel factory and go in this direction I want to learn that lore I like this suit I think this is a cool location I guess I end up feeling like, are you one of those people that travels to a foreign country and then eats at McDonald's? That's what it kind of came out as. It was like, here we are and we can do anything we want and we're just eating this processed meal you've had a hundred different times before and it doesn't feel nearly as special as what you imagined when you were putting your tour together so i guess i just thought i was really gonna love this and i really did like it at first and then i just had a whole lot of mixed feelings and i'm just not sure if you love what marvel is doing you're gonna have no problem with this because it's another marvel meal but as someone that was looking forward to the unique qualities that this particular superhero would have yeah It's hard to argue that it's 100% successful. I think I'm going to be kind and just say mild green arrow based on the performance of Oscar Isaac. I like the character and I would like to see what this character can do outside of his origin story. It was really kind of a mess.
3: Was this an origin story? Like, I feel like we didn't even get that here.
0: Well, we know that this is a troubled character who may be fantasizing a superhero life. Show me another adventure. That's, I guess, what I really don't feel like I can judge until I do see the future. So I guess I'm more like Konshu in that respect. I need to see it mess up before I can say not recommend.
2: Until I see the second season, I guess I'll say mild recommend. Stuart, you and I saw the exact same show and wanted to see the exact same show because coming in, I was so jazzed because I really liked Hawkeye. I went back and looked at my rating of WandaVision and I guess I really ended up forgiving that show for its slow start. And so I really enjoyed a couple of Disney Plus Marvel series. But overall, the Disney Plus Marvel series have felt like bastard stepchildren to the MCU. They have felt unessential and mostly inconsequential and largely forgettable. And so, with Moon Knight... I thought, okay, here's your chance. You're bringing us a brand new character. You've got Tabula Rasa. Go to it. And unlike the two we're going to get, you know, She-Hulk is going to bring in Mark Ruffalo. And Ms. Marvel probably will bring back one of the other Captain Marvels from someplace else. I mean, she's getting her name from Captain Marvel. So this one stands completely alone. And I was so excited. And Moon Knight is such a cool looking character and they could do so much with him and the first two episodes were not what i expected but i was really along for the ride and then the show just lost all sense of steam and when i split this into two nights i got through episode three and at episode four I started rewinding because I found my mind wandering. I was not looking at my phone. I was not multitasking. I just was so out of the show that I was thinking about multitasking. I was (laughs) thinking about other stuff to do. And so I realized at a certain point, I need to walk away from this and come back tomorrow. And then I still had to start episode four over twice because I couldn't focus. It just was not engaging me. This is building up to a green arrow. But I think it kind of brought it back at the end. I think episodes one, two, and six are pretty solid. And I did laugh at the hippopotamus god. I thought that was some fun CGI, even though it didn't feel like it fit with this series. I want the hippo
3: goddess with the bull from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Give them a (laughs) spinoff.
2: And Episodes 3, 4, and 5, though, were bad. So it's really right on the line. And because I really like Oscar Isaac in this, not just like Oscar Isaac in general. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But because I think he's really good in this, and his ability to play multiple characters rivals that of Willem Dafoe playing good Norman Osborn, bad Norman Osborn, and that scene in Spider-Man. His switch from Steven to Mark to Steven to Mark is really good. I'm eking this, barely over the line, into recommendable territory. But honestly, in my mind, this is the weakest Disney Plus series thus far. Well, we agree with on that point, then. <laughs> I'm a
0: little different on you guys, because I was the one that didn't like the one you thought was the best. Like, yeah, Scrooge. Scrooge here. Uh, yes. I mean, Hawkeye, for me, is still, you know, my least favorite, but maybe that's just personal taste. This is real close to that. Unlike you, Arnie, I actually feel like the Disney Plus shows have been more exciting than the movies. Of late, anyway. The recent trend is maybe that they're becoming just as middling. And so, I hope for better things for Thor Love and Thunder.
2: Yeah, because honestly, can we just, I think, agree? Phase 4 of Marvel really feels aimless. And I'm not saying that you have to have a big bad. You don't have to replace Thanos in the immediate next movie with a new Thanos. But ever since Iron Man, at the end of Iron Man 1, Nick Fury showed up and told us we're building to something great. And right now, Phase 4 of Marvel... I'm like, do you know what's going on or is this a rudderless ship?
3: They told us that everything matters. It's all one big story. And now phase four, uh, I don't know if we have a big story to tell. Just Shang-Chi and the Eternals and all these random characters are going to throw at you. It does feel like you conditioned us, Marvel. It's not me. It's you. <laughs> you conditioned us to believe like all this needs to work together. I must consume it all. And now all those parts aren't really fitting together.
2: To quote that comic panel that you told me was edited and not really in a comic, random bullshit, go!
0: Yeah, I'm not the superhero guy, so I just want to qualify that by saying, in reflecting on the history of the MCU, I now can appreciate much more strongly where they started now that they seemingly have peaked. We've had a couple years now beyond the glory years, and I'm not sure that it'll ever get back to where it was. And I'm finding that having to go through the motions, again, it's just kind of like eating at McDonald's. I'm reviewing McNuggets. It's like, well, this... They only come in two shapes. Yeah, there's just... a lot to get excited about. Maybe you like it still. No judgment if you do, but it's not particularly tasty.
2: But I am excited for the next one. Me too. Very excited. I don't know if it'll reach the highs of Ragnarok, but man, Taika Waititi is back and that both trailers have left me laughing.
3: Yeah, if anyone could redeem Natalie Portman in this Thor franchise, Taika can. Christian Bale. Wow. Can't wait to see what he does as the God Butcher.
0: Christian Bale's in this movie? Yep, he's the villain. <laughs> Christian Bale, Russell Crowe. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm dead serious. (laughs) Yeah, you kept talking about Zeus. I don't know anything (laughs) about anything. I just go into these movies anymore. Just don't hurt me. That's all I'm asking.
2: There's another cameo that's been spoiled, and it's going to hurt me. But I'll let you two discover it on your own in theaters this week.
0: Okie doke. And in the meantime, talking about moons, we've reached the (laughs) eclipse. If you are joining us for Silver Level, we're three movies deep into Twilight this Friday.
3: You guys now know enough about Twilight to know if you're Team Jacob or Team Edward.
0: (laughs) And you'll find out which team I'm on if you join (laughs) us for Silver Level this Friday.
2: Yes, you can donate. You can hear the review of Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, all of the Harry Potter films, and yes, the Twilight series. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And it is your support that keeps the show going. We started before there wasn't Avengers. We started before Iron Man 1 in the early, early days. We started doing retrospectives before Iron Man 2 and are still going strong with Thor Love and Thunder. Thanks to listener support. So if you head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate, you can find out all the details about our current donation drive and how to hear dozens of exclusive bonus podcasts. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And I guess if you consider the Guardians of the Galaxy to be Avengers, then we'll be back next week when a few Avengers Avengers assemble. assemble.
1: You from the Fitflop. Thank you for listening to this episode in the now playing Avengers Retrospective Series.
0: Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house.
1: Part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to nowplayingpodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at nowplayingpodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinemas, Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com.
0: Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back.
1: Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week.
0: Is it too right. much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here.
1: Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going.
0: Are you going to step up or not?
1: Donate to our show and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash nowplaying to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who wants to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now playing is edited by Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry.
0: That's my secret, cat. I'm always angry.
1: Now playing Credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you are. He just did it again. You're entertaining the gods. This is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Do you really think just because you have an idea,
0: it belongs to me?
1: now playing podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vingonza media incorporated
2: on behalf of the time variance authority i hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline
1: now playing is a Vinganza media production copyright 2022 and no part of this show may be reproduced repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of Vingonza media incorporated all rights reserved
3: hey fellas Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many
1: more stories to tell.
2: I would have been more excited for a Moonlight movie Moonlight I would have been more excited (laughs) the
0: nerdy know-it-all about Egyptianology Egyptology let me say it again Egyptology yeah yeah one more time